morning. So a few weeks ago, I asked Craig, okay, Craig, after uh, Easter, what are we going to do? What, uh, we go, he said, we're going to go through the, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the book of Job. I said, book of Job, okay, that's a tough book. I haven't read it in a while. And, but he said, but, but the week after Easter, you can do anything you want to do. You can preach on anything, because we're not starting Job yet. I said, okay, what am I going to do? So, very quickly, my mind came to the fact, and we talked about it, that it was a year ago that Craig made an announcement, the week after Easter. I said, I've got to talk about that. So, that's, that's, we're looking at Deuteronomy today. Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Now, Craig revealed that we believe God is calling him and calling me eventually uh, to pursue a vision called Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement, developing future leaders for the church, for the multi-ethnic church, through internships and theological training and practical urban ministry experiences. And um, the search committee has been faithfully working over the months, meeting for many, many times. It's got almost a year, folks, since they've been meeting. And they continue to work, and we continue to pray and wait and wonder. Waiting for guidance and direction is never easy. You ever been lost traveling in a, in a city that you didn't know where you were? And you got your GPS out, and you said, okay, let me find but, but But then that, you're looking for where north is, and the compass is on the right-hand side. And you say, what, what is this? Compasses are very good if they, if the, if for me if the, if the north is pointing up. But when, the, when, when north is that way, I get a little bit confused, don't you? <laughs> Sometimes when you're lost in a, in a wilderness or lost at sea, a compass is your best friend, isn't it? God's put a company, put the North Star in the sky at night. That, that helps people when they are lost. They can find out where North is and maybe find their way. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness for many, many, many years, moving from one phase to the next. Not following the North Star, but following a supernatural cloud by day and a supernatural pillar of fire by night. It was not easy, though, and... It's not easy for us to discern and to wait and to follow and to pray and to trust in our wilderness. <clears throat> in the wilderness, the children of Israel followed the Lord as he directed them day by day. The goal was to follow the Lord no matter where it took them. For us, the word of God is the cloud and the fire that guides us and moves us into the center of God's will for us as his people. But let's face it when, it, when, when, when times are uncertain, <laughs> going through a wilderness season, it's difficult to trust the Lord and wait, isn't it? And the children of Israel had, been, had come to the brink of the promised land, 38 years of wandering, following God's direction, burying an entire generation in the wilderness, practically. In the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moses giving many exhortations, reminding them of who they are, who their God is, and what he desires them to be as they go into the next phase as a people. Life in Canaan would not be like life in the wilderness. Moses is preparing them for the upcoming changes. The biggest change is that he would not be leading them into the next phase. It was Joshua's turn. Well, look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 11 in light of where we are as a church today. Time will not allow me to go deeply into the text, 
But I, but I trust the Lord has a word for us here this morning. Deuteronomy 11, verses 1 to 17. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your, to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to, that, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how he, the earth opened his mouth and swallowed them up with his households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that your, the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of is not like the land of Egypt for which you came, have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like the, a garden of vegetables. But the land you're going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water by the rain from the heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. <clears throat> and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. He will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. You shall eat and be full. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. The land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land the Lord is giving you. God's word. A compass for wilderness wanderers. A compass for wilderness wanderers. You know, during times of uncertainty, God's people have a certainty of God's guiding, his guiding, guiding presence. For us. We have a certainty of his, his, his guiding presence for us. The, the text is going to point to wilderness wanderers to do three things. To remember the past, to anticipate the future, and to walk faithfully and love God today. You remember the past? Anticipate what God has for the future and walk faithfully with our God today is what we're talking about. First is remembering the past. Uh, the great works of God in the past, verses 2 through 7. And, and, of course, Moses is rehearsing for this generation things that they know. It's part of their history, the, the oral history, they know it, but he's rehearsing it. You know, he, he talks in verses, uh, uh, first couple of verses, verse 2 and 3, the signs, the deeds he did in Egypt. The, the ten plagues is in his mind. Let my people go. He went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh <laughs> ten times says, okay, but then he changed his mind. And then there was a Passover, as the death angel passed over those that had the blood on the door, 
And then the, the Red Sea experience as they went through the Red Sea freely. And then Pharaoh's army, Pharaoh and his armies came and did not go. They died. They were under, taken under as God judged them. I, I, I was interesting. I, I was thinking about reflecting on that. I was noticing that, uh, that those two experiences, uh, uh, they involve blood and water. Reminds me of, of, of the two sacraments, the, the, the Passover, blood, the Red Sea, water. He also turns uh, to, to the great deeds in the wilderness. He says, you know the great deeds of God that were done for you in the wilderness, all these wilderness years, caring for his wayward flock. We heard from 1 Corinthians 10, some of that. Uh, God provided for them. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 5, he, he, he says, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. <laughs> Think about that. That's a mighty provision there. <laughs> you, ever, you ever, ever kept the same shoes on for 40 years? That's our God. He protected them. You know, this, this nomadic tribe, group of people in, in the desert, wandering through the desert, and God protected them from their enemies. Part of the protection was the, the situation he talks about um, in verse 6. What he did to Dathan and Abiram, and the sons of Korah, that rebellion. Read Numbers chapter 16, as I did this week. It's an interesting chapter. Several times in that chapter, God just said, I'm through with these folks. <laughs> and there was definitely judgment. There was also grace. But, but Psalm 106, verse 17, talks about that incident. When the men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. God protected the, 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 the people of God from that which would take them in the wrong direction. And God, God had put Moses as a leader, and there was a rebellion against Moses' leadership. And, God, and, 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 and all Moses has to do is mention those guys' names, and they say, oh yeah, we remember those stories. <laughs> There was a, and then there was, of course, the divine direction through the wilderness, the cloud and the fire, this supernatural guidance for this, uh, this, this camp of travelers. And again, in verse 2, Moses reminds them that they would, not, they would need to remind their children because the children would have been born and didn't experience all these things. He'd just continually tell the children the stories of how you'd overcome. Verse 7, for your eyes... I've seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. And talking about the past, he says, your eyes, you remember, you saw those things. Now, what is, what is, it, what is this for us? Well, there's quite a lot here for us. I want to talk about our past. Our past. <clears throat> the past week has been a week of remembering stories as a nation paused to reflect upon Dr. Martin Luther King, who died in Memphis 50 years ago at the Lorraine Hotel. Several of us went down to a, a Gospel Coalition conference, uh, MLK 50, Reflections from the Mountaintop, a significant time for reflection and recommitment. It was April 1968, I was 14 years old, and I remember exactly where I was. With my, my mom and dad were in the front seat, I was in the back seat. Route 450 in Lanham, going into the, uh, uh, the Capitol Plaza, and, and the radio, Bulletin came on, and my dad turned it up, and there it was. The doctor, Martin Luther King, had been killed that day. Every, 
every city in, in America that had a sizable number of African Americans went up in flames that day and the next couple days. Sadness and fear simultaneously gripped not only the black community, but the entire nation at what had happened. Dr. King, a preacher who stood for nonviolence, had been violently killed. Anger, rage. In the fires of the urban streets, it seemed that the, the dream of the benevolent community that King often talked about went up in smoke as well. Dr. King was dead. But there was another doctor who through the years has healed many a wound and comforted many a soul. There was another king who was still on the throne. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great physician. Just saying a song a few minutes ago, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, <laughs> where would I be? Part of my reflection this week, I reflected back on something that, that, that Craig preached about something a few months ago that I, it was, it was, I hadn't, didn't know that story. But both of, you have, both of us, we're the same age. Both of us were in high school, and in 10th grade, which was two years after King died, both of us, I found out, were involved in bad relationships with girls. Both of us, at the same time. We didn't know each other. I didn't know this guy. He's in Baltimore. But when he shared that story, as he said, I said, 10th grade, wait a minute. And both of us faced a fork in the road in our spiritual lives at the same time. We didn't know each other. We didn't know what was going to be happening 10, 15, 20 years from there. But God knew it. And God protected both of us. Both of us were protected by God. And I was thinking, you know, in 1970, God had a lot of work to do. There was a lot going on. Nixon was president. Man was trying to fight the moon. I think we'd, flown, we'd gotten to the moon by then. God had a lot on his mind. But God took the time to rescue us. And he didn't just rescue us for us. <laughs> he rescued us for Maria and Terry. But not just for Maria and Terry. He rescued us for you guys. Think about it. We, the king was dead. No, the king wasn't dead. The king was alive and still doing what he wanted to do. Lots of reflections this week. Lots of reflections this week as we went down to Memphis. Those days were interesting. This is a season when, as we pray for the unknown lead pastor of Faith Christian Fellowship, we need to remember that the devil wants to take him out like he tried to take us out years ago. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. And let's pray for the search committee as they do the job. Paul said, we're not unaware of the devil's tactics. We're in spiritual warfare. You know, we're looking at the past. In the, in the 70s, you know, in, in, we were in college, and uh, the, the Jesus generation, the, a bunch of burnout hippies who found Jesus, outreach ministries began to happen in our country, began to, to really expand in the Jesus 
uh, explosion. Ministries like Young Life, both of us were involved in Young Life. Uh, Campus Crusade on the campuses, uh, InterVarsity, Navigators. Um, what was happening there was uh, um, just the, the former hippies found Jesus, or Jesus found them, to be accurate. Another thing that was going on was traditional churches, many of them died. <laughs> they began to dwindle and dwindle, and some morphed into seeker, seeker-sensitive churches. They put down the hymnals and picked up the guitars and sang songs like we just heard. Lord, I lift your name up high. Denominations wrestled with theological questions. Meanwhile, there was a popular philosophy on how to build in church and how to maintain a church, a healthy church. It, it was the homogeneous unit principle, which simply says, birds of a feather flock together. You want to build a healthy, growing church, find people who are alike, get them in the room, get them to understand their own, that their perspective is the right perspective, and build from there and find your friends and family. The homo, and that, 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 that philosophy reigned, that sociological philosophy reigned in churches and was taught in churches and in seminaries. And, and there was a whole generation of, of, of church planners and pastors who bought into that, that missiological uh, uh, understanding, which had some value, but there's one little problem. The Bible. <laughs> there were verses like Galatians chapter 3. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, we're one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11, same, similar verse. Ephesians 2, 17 and 18, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, Jew and Gentile. Through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew first, but also the Greek. God's not leaving people out. And, God, and it seems, as you read the New Testament letters, those just four of them, that, 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 that God wants his people in one body. It seems, it, seems, it seems simple to us. Quite radical back then. So against all odds, in the late 70s, early 80s, God planted within Marie and Craig a vision for what is essentially a continuation of the vision of Dark to Martin Luther King for a benevolent community. That's what he called it. Because it was not King's vision. It's God's. It's God's vision. So in Baltimore City around 1980, 1981, God brought together a crazy collection of idealistic people from all kinds of backgrounds. <laughs> to create what became very appropriately faith Christian fellowship because it took a lot of faith to do what others says you couldn't do. There's nothing like it to pattern themselves after. The story's been chronicled in, in, in Maria's book. I want you, many of you have read the book, A Thousand Resurrections. Read the book. It gives the details that I don't have time to go into. Yesterday in our reconciliation, our unity meeting, Arlette Lindsay was telling the story of just this building how when they, the opportunity came to have this building as the worship center, many of them said, wait a minute, we're supposed to be a church for, that, that's a community church for the poor. We can have a beautiful building like this. But God began to open some doors, and they realized that the cloud was saying, this is the place. They didn't know that they would be having a Christian school years later that would need the facility, but God knew it. Because Dr. King was dead, 
the king was still reigning, and he still is. Again, we talk about faith's past. Remember the past. The church past, we, we all passed through the, the promise keepers phase in, in the 90s where people began to realize that maybe Greek and, Jew and Greek, black and white, can be in one place together, and, and, and churches began to, began to really embrace some of those values. But it seemed to, to wither away. Then came, then came the kind of the, what I call the mega church movement. People said, these big churches. And in these big churches, there was space for all kinds of people who wanted the excellence of a mega church. So huge crowds gathered together daily, or weekly. And, and it, seem, it seems that eventually a conclusion came that just because diverse people are in the same room doesn't mean real unity is happening. Doesn't mean that genuine unity is happening. In fact, there's been some recent articles about the exodus of people of color from megachurches. We've seen some articles about that. Basically, as things in, in the greatest society get more difficult for the church, many are simply concluding that this reconciliation thing is too difficult, too costly. It's not natural. It exposes your insecurities, your weaknesses. It doesn't produce a comfortable Christianity, which is what we want, isn't it? It doesn't fulfill a cultural core concerns of people. It causes you to sacrifice too much. And so there are now great tensions in the greater society. And we hear some voices in the church that are again saying that the vision makes no sense. It can't work. It's impossible to pull it off. So how do we respond? How do we respond? We respond with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able <laughs> to do more abundantly than all that we ask or imagine. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. That verse comes in the context of maintaining unity in the church. Ephesians chapter 2 and 3. It is impossible but for God <laughs> who is at work in the church, at work in our hearts giving us the unity that we, that, that we need, that he that will speak to his glory. Saints, remember the past. Remember the past. The second thing I want us to see is, is, is to anticipate the great works of God in the future. Now, I am not a prophet or son of a prophet. I don't know the future, and neither do you. But, but Moses had some insights for them. He, 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 he talks about in verse 8, that you may be strong. He says uh, that, you may, that you may possess the land. In verses 7 to 12, that you may, that you may live long. There, there's things that, 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 that in their future that, that God wants for them. And there's things that God wants for our future as a church. They are transitioning to a Joshua phase, putting behind the Moses phase. Two verses. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word. Moses is, is one who's writing God's word. He's, he's writing down God's word as he, during this time. God told him to write down the first five books of the scriptures. Joshua 1, 1, 8. Moses is dead. The first chapter, God says to Joshua, this book of the law. What's that? The first five, the books that Moses written. The first books. This book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. 
In the next phase, Joshua, you have a book from heaven. Follow it. Follow it. The Spirit of God, yes, but follow the Spirit as he works through this book that, that, that I've given to Moses to give to you because it's, it's, holy, it's my word. They now have a book. The, the next phase will be different because there's a book. The Word tells them that there's going to be unconditional and conditional blessings. Some of those conditional blessings will only happen as they are true to what it says in the book. Notice also in this verse 12, it's kind of interesting. You notice in verse 7, we said, your eyes have seen all the great work the Lord that he did. Talking about the past. When it comes to the future, look what it says. The eyes of the Lord, your God, are always upon it. It's not your eyes, because you, you, you can't see the future, but the Lord does. The Lord sees the future. <laughs> I love that. We serve a God who sees the future and knows the future, knows what's best for us. Again, application for us uh, uh, in the future. <clears throat> at, at the conference this week, um, I really appreciated the constant reminder uh, that God is righteous and that God is just. So as we're to, pursue, we're to pursue both the righteousness of God and the, the justice of God in our world. See, because we're all sinners, we need to know the righteousness of God. And that's justification. Because we're all made in God's image, we need to understand the justice of God. And so a biblical view, a balanced view of the Christian life embraces a gospel that includes both. You cannot let the world and the world's definitions and understandings of those ideas cloud our thinking as we serve God and serve our world. Several, several, several of the speakers, Karen Ellis was there, gave a major speech, major talk. Um, Others that you see there, two, two in particular I want to quote. Oh, Jackie Hill Perry, great testimony. I saw her, I saw her testimony yesterday. I didn't know all her, her story. Um, she hit this directly when she spoke on the topic of equipping the next generation to embrace gospel diversity. That's the phrase, gospel diversity. See, there's some understandings of diversity that aren't gospel-based. And that, that was the cry of the conference. Keep our justice work, our reconciliation work, keep it grounded in the gospel. John Piper was pleading with us on the last day. We were all tired, and they gave him the longest talk of the whole time <laughs> at nighttime, but he was pleading from the book of Colossians. Here's a quote. His climax quote was this. You have, he said, young people, you, own, you have only one hope to find a path that exalts Christ and does justice. An infallible, spirit-illumined Bible in a colorful community of the redeemed. It's quite a quote. You can check those messages out online, by the way. Anticipating the future. What does God have in the future for this church? We, know, we don't know. Stick with what God says in his word. As we pursue justice, gospel, gospel justice, gospel diversity. Last, there's a word not just for the past and for the future. In the text, there's a word for today. We're for today, verse 11, of, of chapter 1, of verse, of, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, there's the word. And then look at verse 8. You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Verse 13. 
you'll indeed obey my commandments that I command you today. That word today just jumps out at us, doesn't it? He's, he's talking about the, 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 knowing their past, remembering the, the, what God's done in the past. He's talking about anticipating what God wants to do in their life and their future as, as, as a people. But he's also saying, there's some today stuff you need to know. There's some today things that you need to know. Because during times of uncertainty, we have the presence of God. And God gives us a word for today. The, 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 the old hymn, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through a barren land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Feed me till I want no more. Open the crystal fountain which the healing stream does flow. Let the fire in a cloudy pillar lead me all my journey through. Strong deliverer, strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and my shield. Be thou still my strength and my shield. And when I tread on the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction, land me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises, songs of praises I will ever give to thee. I will ever give to thee. On the, on the, on the edge of Jordan, there's a word for them today. There's exhortations for them. And, and, and really, there's really three words that jump out at me. One is the word obey. Obey the command today. And then, and then serve. Serve him today. And then, then love him. Again, God's word is like a compass, giving you direction, giving us direction. Obey, serve, love. Psalm 119 is a great verse. 119, uh, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a, a lamp on, they had, you, you can't see it all, but, but, but the, on, on their feet was a little lamp that just showed where the next step was. You couldn't see all around you. <laughs> Reminds me of it. You've seen men in, 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 cave mine, in, in, in caves who are mining, and they have these headlights where they can just see it. That's what it reminds me of, but they were on their feet. <laughs> a lamp to your feet, lighting the path of where to go. That's what God's word, God's word doesn't tell you everything you need to know about. God just gives you the next step. He tells you what you need to do today is by your spirit you walk with him. <clears throat> love the Lord, love the Lord. All over this we see this exhortation in Deuteronomy to love the Lord. Verse 13, if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God. Serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. But Jesus quoted that verse quite often, didn't he? He quoted verses like that, about loving God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. Very important. He called it the great commandment, along with the commandment from Leviticus to love our neighbor as ourselves. <clears throat> Raymond Brown says, God's love for his people is the foundation of the covenant. God's love for his people. Although the initiative is with God, there are two parties to the agreement. Israel must respond to God's love by loving him in return. Moreover, just as the Lord demonstrates his love in his practical deeds, so they must do the same. They must not love in word only either. The covenant requ requirements are undeniably explicit. He quotes Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. People will know that they love God because of the reverential worship here. They're holy, living, walking in his ways. They're willing obedience, observe the Lord's commands, and their active service, serve, and wholehearted devotion, all your heart and all your soul. The word, in the book of Deuteronomy, the word love occurs 24 times. Five times it's referring to human love for one another. 
eight times, it's referring, like in this verse, our love for God. But 11 of the 24 times, it's God's love for us. God's love for us. One example, Deuteronomy chapter 7. It was not because you were more number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. We were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of, Israel, of, of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's grace. It's God's gracious love. God's love is the ground for our love for him. See, it precedes it. Our love is a response to his grace. Kevin DeYoung says this. It sounds really spiritual to say that God is interested in relationship and not rules. But it's not quite biblical. From top to bottom, the Bible is full of commands. They aren't meant to stifle a relationship with God, but to protect it, to seal it, and to define it. Never forget. First, God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, and then he gave them law. God's people were not redeemed by observing the law, but they were redeemed so that they would obey the law. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Young says, we can talk all day about our love for God, but he quotes 1 John 3, 4, if we do not keep his commandments, we are liars, and the truth is not in us. Moving on, finally, we see some promises here. He says they'll be strong, they'll be blessed if they, if they, if they, if they love God and, and, and keep his commands. In verses 16 and 17, there's warning, a warning. Uh, God, again, some of God's promises are unconditional. Some are conditional. I'm thankful for those unconditional promises that by his grace he gives us. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, Pastor Sand, that sounds Old Testament. That's not grace. Well, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, quoting Psalm 95. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. So on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers. Hebrews, writer of Hebrews. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The writer of Hebrews points to the wilderness experience and, and says, continue to follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. The old hymn simply says, God, our help, in ages past, you are our hope for years to come. You are a shelter from the stormy blast. You are our eternal home. Church, let's celebrate remembering what God has done in the past. Let's anticipate what he wants to do in the future. Let's commit ourselves today. <laughs> Commit ourselves to being known as a people who by his grace love him with all of our hearts and all of our souls, all of our minds, and all of our strength.
As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, just a second, remember that in the Lord's Supper, we do this in remembrance of me. We remember something in the past. And we do this until he comes again for us because there's a future element to what we're about to do. But we also say, this is, is my body. There's a present element to the Lord's table. And those of us who are wanderers in the wilderness need to know the present the loving presence now of our God who is still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Lord's table. It was on a night that he was betrayed. It was actually the Passover celebration of that, of that season. He took that Passover and transformed it into a special sacrament. He took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. So this cup is the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, you claim or announce my death till I come again. May the officers come forward as we continue. This, this table is the Lord's table. Christians through the centuries have celebrated what he did on the cross for our sins. It's not for perfect people. It's because of a perfect Savior. It reminds us of his perfections, that he is righteous and we are not. He is Lord, we are not. And so we come with repentant hearts that understand that apart from, that if it hadn't been for the Lord on our side, we would be lost. But with the Lord, and with what he's done, redeeming us from our own sins, we have the, 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 the confidence, the security of eternal life with him. And that's the gospel. And, and, and those who understand that gospel and are in good relationship in the, in the, in the church have been invited to, to this by the Lord. So this isn't just for those who are members. It's for those, you may be a visitor, but if you know the Lord and you're, and you're seeking to walk in repentance before God, this table's for you. And God gives us grace and reminds us of his love through the simple elements before us. If, if you don't know Christ or if you're struggling with something major in your life and you, and, and you, just, you feel I've got that comfortable Holy Spirit telling you, yeah, you need to get something right, we ask you to pause and, and let, the, let the elements go by. Because the scriptures say we need to discern ourselves and, and discern the body. And, and if we don't do that, then we, rather than receiving the blessing, we receive the cursing that comes from the sacrament. So we get a moment to pray silently, and then I'll pray and we'll move on. Pause and talk to God for a second.